it's important that we begin to think about how do we develop the forum, the setting? How do we create and nurture a setting that is forward-thinking and that is open-minded and that is innovative and creative? Yes. Um, that is different than what currently exists. Welcome to Education Rx. The education system in the U.S. is sick and we all need to find ways to heal it. I'm Holly Bronson. I'm Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting. We may not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is Education Rx. Today, we are here with Eric Robinson, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what your passion is and where you are right now in your in your career. Yes, thank you so much, Shannon. And thank you for inviting me to Education Rx. In fact, the invitation, we were able to connect via my LinkedIn account. And I am a social worker by training and education. So I have an undergraduate degree in social work, as well as a graduate degree in clinical social work. So in essence, I've been trained to help vulnerable people and communities work through challenges that they face in everyday life. It's a lot more broader than that, but I thought it would be important to sort of summarize the role and the definition of social work has been my is my my training and my background. I'm also the author of the book Together for Success, The Missing Link, titled the, A Definitive Guide on How to Sustain Parent Involvement in Your School. And when you mentioned the word passionate, that has been my life's calling, if you will. The importance of increasing parent involvement as the book titled The Missing Link. We as parents have always been the missing link. And I have endeavored to really demonstrate and to take efforts to eliminate and reduce those barriers to parent involvement. I'm a parent myself. I have a Wonderful son, adult son, extremely talented. He is a classical musician and graduated to the top of his field. He is a very skilled and talented classical musician, double bass. But <laughs> frankly, really wasn't much in the way of motivation, aside from his musical concerts and his practices. And there wasn't much in the way of motivation for me to get into schools. <laughs> and so that, therefore, that was really what sort of motivated me to do research, do writing, publish a book, and then to begin to show and demonstrate the overall effectiveness of parent involvement. I am also, a, I just actually just created a online course. I think it actually turned out to be quite nice. It's an online course, sort of a cutting edge course called Empowering Parenting, Boosting School Engagement. This is sort of an extension of the book, Definitive Guide on How to Sustain Parent Involvement in Schools, we just basically took the book, created a wonderful online course that allows students, those who complete it, to be able to then, upon completion of the course, to be able to facilitate parent and teacher workshops. I also write a blog. I try to post my blog every three days, three to four days approximately, which you know I can sort of sympathize with you and identify how challenging it is to 
create content as podcasts, it really is not easy. I'm constantly coming up with new ideas on how to create information and to keep people engaged. In this case, here, parents and schools and teachers. And it, it's, it's a lifelong endeavor. <laughs> so true. Well, and when you and I first got on before we started recording, we were just sort of chit-chatting a little bit about how right now on social media, one of the things that I have to spend a lot of time on for the podcast is being on social media. And I really use that as a way to sort of take the temperature of what's going on and what educators are feeling, what students are feeling, what families are feeling. And I'm hearing from both sides a lot of chatter about teachers feeling like behaviors are really going crazy in classrooms and they're not getting a lot of support from families at home or expectations for homework, like with reading and how reading scores are really low for many, many students across our nation right now, especially post-COVID, and that they're feeling like families aren't providing support at home to catch up. And then you hear on the other side of that, parents saying, I feel like teachers aren't doing what they need to be doing. The content isn't good. The way they're teaching it isn't good. They're overstepping their bounds. And so we're hearing on both sides of the coin, this, this conversation that we need to be working together and we're not, and we're all unhappy about it. <laughs> and you and I were talking about that and you had some good things to say. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 I would sort of uh, continue that comment that you made. And just in terms of, as we had uh, mentioned previously, is to begin to sort of change sort of the paradigm of our broader thinking and to look at what actually exists in schools, because these are going to be open-ended, ongoing concerns that are expressed. Parents and teachers have different experiences. Although the well-being of the child they share in common, their overall experiences are somewhat different. But I think it's important for us to begin to take a moment and think about what our earlier experiences are. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to talk about that in relation to the book that has been written, as well as the online course, because a lot of our experiences and our openness to engage in school in large part comes from our early experience in school as students ourselves. So if we can just take a moment and think about what that experience is like for us. Speaking for myself, to be quite honest with you, it was pretty much a terrifying experience. I didn't really like school that much. There are aspects of school in terms of sports that I enjoy, but it was pretty intimidating for the most part. Elementary, middle school in general wasn't really an inviting place or generally a supportive place for the most part. I wasn't a bad student, but I just didn't feel a sense of connection with school. As I became, got older and I began to develop more as a young man and then to play sports, basketball, wrestling, track and field, I then began to develop more of an identity. And I think at that point, I felt more of a connection. Okay. That early experience, I think for a lot of us, for me in particular, also shapes and affects, impacts how I view school today. How I see school as not really being a place that is inviting or supportive of my involvement. Again, going back to my early um, experience. And in my research and the book that I have written and my communication with many parents have shared the same thing that in large, in large part, 
their experience in school is informed and driven by that early experience. So they're not particularly open or amenable to engaging with teachers or developing a partnership with teachers or working closely together with teachers, whereas their view in large part based on their conditioning has been, well, I send my child to school, I go off to work, you educate them. And that is pretty much the spoken and unspoken understanding of how this relationship is going to develop. And I think it's important for us to begin to, at least to take a moment and stop and begin to reflect upon our earlier experience in school and how that affects and influence how we engage with teachers, how we see ourselves in relationship to that school and academic environment. Yeah, definitely. A lot of parents, you were mentioning, like, I drop my kid off, I go off to work, and there's this quality of daycare portion of education where families really need their kids to be taken care of during the day. And even though they understand that it's a school and they're getting education, they're also looking at it like, I need to leave my child there and go off and put my thought process somewhere else. And we really need to figure out how to shift that so that they're looking at education as a partnership and teachers don't have this expectation of daycare services, but really have an expectation of learning where they're able to focus on learning and especially post-COVID. And I know that it was happening before then, but I think COVID sort of amplified our awareness of it that social emotional issues have been really difficult for students and have begun to spill into the classroom where teachers are having to do a lot of teaching of these are your emotions. This is, you know, when you're feeling this way, it looks like this. And what are positive ways or effective ways to address those emotions? And what are negative ways or unproductive ways to address those emotions? And some of that is really helpful, but I know some families feel like it's not teacher's place to do that. And I don't think they're understanding that in a classroom, if we don't address that, it can prevent learning, not just for the student having the overwhelming emotion, but for the peers and the other people in the classroom, because there's a disruption to the learning environment when those emotions are explosive or overwhelming. And so that's really created a weird divide between parents and teachers, I think, that we need to figure out how to shift that paradigm. And that's that's a tall order. But I think that, you know, part of what you are mentioning in your comments is those barriers. What are those barriers? Is it that parents don't really want to be involved? And I would say that's not the case. What resources are available for parents in schools? Well, you've got the PTOs and PTAs, you know, the 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 standard PTOs and PTAs in which parents for the most part will volunteer their time. There are fundraisers for the most part. PTOs and PTA organizations have been a staple in most schools across the country. But they've never really purported to increased parent involvement, or they've never really been able to show and demonstrate an increase in academic performance or a decrease in disruptive behavior. Fair, yeah. Uh, secondly, if I if we begin to kind of think about 
those barriers, parents have to work for the most part. So they're not always available during, you know, their work day for the most part. There may be language barriers that exist. There may be childcare issues that get in the way and prevent them from being involved. So the question for me has always been, and through Together for Success, has been, how do we go about eliminating those barriers or reducing those barriers to create opportunities for parents to get involved? Well, we've developed, believe, a wonderful program that does exactly that. It eliminates and reduces those barriers. Well, the activities in large part are offered after school hours or during the weekends. Food and refreshment is offered. These are activities that are designed to increase parent involvement. There are steps that parents and teachers are engaged in in terms of ways in which we go about increasing communication eliminating the difference between parents and teachers, allowing them to be able to work together on a certain level in which they begin to see and identify each other as being having more in common than things that are different. So we kind of think about, and I mentioned earlier, our earlier experiences in school. I'm a parent. So first of all, it has to be flexible to be able to accommodate my work schedule Absolutely. one time after after. after between you know, 5, 30, 6 o'clock after school hours. Feeding me was great because food is always designed to kind of bring people together. Yes. Activities, if you will, that are fun and enjoyable and engaging and an opportunity to really be able to break, break the ice, identify the things that we share in common and to be able to feel that, yes, I have, I can be able to contribute something to this school into the academic environment of my child. I think that once that has been accomplished and we were able to do that and replicate that on a consistent basis, then you can, then some of the issues that you're raising, some of the differences that you're bringing, talking about, begin to ultimately diminish and you can start to experience more of an increase in parent involvement. So when you're talking about doing these activities, whether they're in the evening or on the weekends, is the school creating that opportunity to do activities? Is the school the one that takes on the role of providing the refreshments and creating the space and, and organizing this time together? Yes, we've been successful in being in particular very flexible. We understand that each and every school is different. Each school has its different demands and requirements. And so therefore, we provide the school with a framework and a blueprint, if you will, of the Together for Success model. It's a 10-week model. It's one time per week after school hours. So we try to make it flexible and capable for parents to be good, to be involved. Teachers identify the parents of students whom they feel could benefit from from involvement. Okay. I and my colleagues have hosted workshops and trainings. We've been able to identify teachers who were open to engaging and participating in, in the Together for Success model. And then they would then identify the parents of students, share with them the model, get them on board, get a buy-in on the part of the of the parents. Certainly, there the, and, and we've experienced situations in which the teachers' union, with their restrictions, teachers would have to work around that. In other words, teachers would have to agree to be available after school hours, and most teachers were open to that. 
but they would we would then come in and then do the recruitment we would do the data collection we would do the marketing and the the banners and creating the brochures the information that we would make available to parents and then we would then co-facilitate the parent and teacher workshops after school the one time per week, about 90 minutes, one time per week, this would allow us an opportunity to be able to collect wonderful data. And it would be an opportunity to really begin to follow these activities that would reduce the barriers, increase communication, and also allow what did not exist before, allow schools to be able to engage in this type of model in which parents and teachers can work closely together. So this is something that if you came in and did with a school and worked with that, let's say it's a middle school, which would be a tricky one because there's also sports that families are doing. And I'm I'm sure it's even harder at a high school level. But if you come in and work with a school, is the goal that the school can then replicate that moving forward in years to come? Is it a one-time thing? Is it something that you guys come back and do again, partnering with schools over an extended period of years? Or We are currently in two public schools and one private school. Okay. And this is in the Northeast area. And we've been working with, with these schools for approximately three years. And frankly, it's taken us approximately three years in order for Together for Success model to be integrated into that school. In other words, the expectation on the part of these parents is that they will participate in parent, the Together for Success model. So throughout that entire, so it's 10 weeks and we are able to provide per quarter, three 10-week groups per quarter. Okay. Over the full academic year. So the expectation is that parents will be engaged and, and be involved. We have these those who complete the program have wonderful t-shirts, wonderful apparel. This is what yeah. sort of differentiates them from other parents who have yet to participate and other okay. teachers who have yet to participate. In a sense, it sort of creates sort of a culture in which there's something different and there's something special about participating in Together for Success model. There's something that's important for parents to be involved in. This creates a forum that did not exist before. And I mentioned previously the PTOs and PTAs, or for that matter, the annual, biannual parent-teacher conferences, which have always been nail biters for the most part and, and <laughs> anxiety. This creates right. an opportunity for, for, for parents and teachers to begin to move further away from the judgmental or judgmentation, move further away from the finger pointing, move further away from the focus on what's not working and what's not what your child is not doing and moving closer towards how can we both work together towards this unified goal of student academic success. Nice. And so since you've been in schools, at least a couple of schools for a long period of time, three years, what is the feedback that you get from parents? How are they feeling after being involved for three years? It has been really incredible. And I, and I say that with absolute sincerity. I think that that's sort of an understatement because parents have said that this is what they have been waiting for. This is what they have been needing. It really creates 
an opportunity that has created an opportunity to really begin to identify the humanness of us all, of parents and teachers. There's not much as a differentiated between parents and teachers, quite frankly. The goal and the expectation and the outcomes and in, in essence are the same. There's really not much difference. The only difference is that, you know, a, a teacher has a level, a skill set, a level of education and a level of experience that parent, perhaps a parent does not have. On the other hand, um, teachers are parents as well. They are also having their children enrolled in schools. So there is that level of commonality. And once we have found that, that those barriers have, have been minimized, diminished, or eliminated, then you can begin to see the person for what they are. Teaching is an extremely challenging and difficult profession. It's extremely, extremely, extremely demanding. And parenting is equally as demanding and challenging as well. And once you're able to increase the communication, and think about it, parents and teachers are meeting one time per week for approximately 90 minutes. There's a lot of information that's being shared amongst parents and, and teachers. There is personal information that is being disclosed that would never be disclosed and shared during a, you know, a, a academic quarter, if you will, without a parent and teacher engaging in together for a success model. So you can kind of get an, an, an idea of how much information is being able to be exchanged, how much relationship and that for that matter is being able to be developed as a result of that and the successes that we've had as a result. So you mentioned that many times parents feel finger pointing and that teachers are looking at them and saying the reason your student is this way is your fault. I honestly hear teachers say that sometimes. It's partially due to lack of information. And so I think on the teacher's end, having that time to really get to know families and as a special service provider, I know I have to deal with a lot of kids who have many struggles in the classroom, frequently behavioral struggles, which is one of the ones that causes teachers to feel like it's happening from home. And sometimes it is. I mean, some we all have difficult times in our life and challenges, and I get that. But the parents who get involved and show up to the meetings and communicate a lot with the teachers and the special service providers, it shifts the way those of us working with the student in the school setting, how we understand the student as well as their home and can be more supportive to the family. And a lot of times when you have a kiddo that's really struggling, I think it's a natural reaction to pull back and not want to engage in it a lot because it's overwhelming. There's a, a level of grief for families when they're dealing with hardships with their student or, or behaviors or disabilities that is not what any of us ever want for our children. We want our kids to just have a healthy, wonderful, amazing life. And so when they're dealing with challenges as a parent, some people shut off as just their way of coping or they pull back. And so I think not just what you're saying about how parents can connect more with educators and feel connected to them and understanding what they're doing. I think also, and you've said this, but that teachers feel more connected to the parents and have more empathy and feel more partnership with them when the parents become involved. I agree 100%. Teachers, school for that matter, school and just in general, is it, it's an environment that can be quite stressful. Mm -hmm. Teachers have been trained and educated to teach. 
that's what their role is. And if you have a student, and I, I mentioned I was a school social worker for right out of graduate school was my first house as a school social worker. Yeah. And I was a school social worker for approximately seven years. Then I went on to become an associate professor in psychology. And I understand the demands that teachers are faced with. Again, their role is to teach. They've been trained to impart a degree of information and knowledge. A student is then therefore assessed and evaluated based upon their ability to be able to, you know, demonstrate a level of competency. Then they're then then they are graduated and moved on to the next higher grade. Hey folks, we just wanted to interrupt our interview really, really quick to tell you that we have had so much fun making this podcast for you. We've added a YouTube channel. We're getting ready to start some new podcasts. We would love it if you would join us by subscribing wherever you get your podcast or on YouTube. With your subscription, it just makes it possible for us to continue doing what we do. Yeah, we can continue to get great people to interview and attract more. Yes, and bring you what you want to hear. So let us know what you want to hear. Subscribe. There'll be buttons below. And you guys, we appreciate you so much. If you have a student who is disruptive and preventing that teacher from being able to effectively teach, teachers face with a couple of approaches, if you will. One is to either draw on classroom management to persuade that student to not be disruptive. A, you know, there's a range of different techniques that teachers employ to be able to ensure that that student remains on task. And if that doesn't work, then it, there's usually some punitive step that's taken. The, and, and in my experience, they've either been sent to the school social worker or to school administration. And in many cases, a parent is called and notified. And there is an expectation when a teacher notifies a parent that a parent is going to do something. There is this right, belief right. that there's this belief that if they notify the parent and then somehow a parent is going to intervene. And this is rooted, in my opinion, back 20, 25, 30 years ago, where yes. if my parents were notified, it would be, you know, you know, it would be the worst thing that could that could ever happen. Because there was this expectation that if I'm going to notify your parent and your parent is going to do something or to intervene in such a way that when you return back to school, that behavior would no longer be there. And I think that that still holds true today. I think when we begin to consider some of the com concerns and challenges and the complaints that you mentioned a moment ago, finger pointing and blaming and the lack of communication and dialogue, it really sort of sets up this dynamic in which, well, what's the point? Why are you calling me? Why are you texting me? Why are you notifying me or informing, informing me when, yes, the parent's going to think, you're the teacher. What am I supposed to do? You know, mm. you're in your classroom. And I think that it it does become frustrating. And again, you know, these are age-old concerns that still continue today. Happy to say that Together for Success model has been successful in taking steps towards identifying solutions. Those problems will always be there. Those dynamics will always be there. But until parents and teachers are able to come together and engage in, an, in a way that is organized, that is fun, that is enjoyable, that 
uh, reduces and eliminates barriers, allows parents and teachers to see each other as human beings, as right. real people, mm -hmm. as someone who has the best interest and who can partner together on behalf of that child, then you're going to continue to hear similar concerns and similar problems. Can you give us an example or two of what are some of the fun activities that you have teachers and parents doing together that build these relationships? Yes, excellent question. And it's interesting because I have said early on that if I were to create a business, understanding the importance of parent involvement, parent being parents being the missing link. I would want it to be as fun as possible. I love fun. I love games. I love I fun. Love, yeah, I, <laughs> I love <that's> <laughs> you know, just really engaging in activities out of fun and enjoyable. And so we have developed 10 fun and enjoyable games that are drawn from, if you guys remember, it's actually from the NBC game. This is maybe about 12, 15 years ago called Minute to Win It. Yeah. If you remember that. Yeah. Um, I have a website. I'm sorry. I have a YouTube account um, together for success. And the activities are available through the YouTube account together for success. And they are 10 fun and enjoyable activities. Nice. And they don't cost anything. They All you need are things like balloons and ping pong balls, cotton balls, rubber bands, household activities that are fun and enjoyable. They are activities that are structured for the online course, and they're also available in the book. There are links to them. If you go to my LinkedIn page, my LinkedIn account, my LinkedIn account is connected to the blog, and the blog has all the activities. You are welcome to view them. Your podcast viewers and listeners yeah. are more than welcome to access them. But the games and activities are fun and enjoyable. And if you can imagine parents and teachers engaging in these activities. Now, parents and teachers don't get come together for 90 minutes, let alone for 10 or 15 minutes for that matter. And we have, the best part of this job has actually been able, being able to facilitate these activities and watching parents and teachers engage in these activities, competitive by the way, and laughing and having fun and enjoying themselves and really sort of shedding this persona that, you know, it's sort of a, you know, I'm a teacher and you're a parent. No, we're both the same. We can compete together. We can work together. We can use problem solving to, to solve these problems. And we can work together and communicate in a way that has not been done before. And the interesting part of the other point I want to make to you is that this kind of goes back to the earlier point of, you know, the expectation that, yes, a teacher will notify a parent with the expectation for a parent to do something. When's the last time a child's parent has worked together with a teacher and which, by the way, in two of the schools I'm working, we're working with, there is childcare that's available. So the student is in the, they're in the cafeteria or they're in the library doing homework while their teacher and their parent are engaged in together for success activities. 
that we have found to invariably reduce some of the disruptive behavior, reduce some of uh, much of the behavior and concerns that teachers have raised initially. So send me a link and we will make sure that those are available on our everywhere the podcast is, as well as on our YouTube. Can you tell us an actual game and kind of explain it? Yes. One of the fun ones, um, let me just kind of think one of one of the ones that I really enjoy. It's actually called Face the Cookie, and um, it's Face the Cookie. And we used to use Oreo cookies, but we found that the oh, the the, the chocolate crust of the Oreo cookie, the parents would find that their face at the end would be, you know, filled with chocolate black crust of Oreo cookies. So we changed that, and we've used we're using now what's called Lona Doing cookies, which are my favorite. Oh, yeah. yeah. In essence, they have one minute, and then kind of imagine, sort of imagine the excitement and the anticipation. So you've got a parent and teacher who are paired together. Again, remember, these are teachers who have identified the parents of students whom they feel could benefit. In particular, the parents of students who haven't really been engaged and haven't really been involved for the most part, and students whom they feel have had more academic and behavior-related issues. And we really encourage parents I'm sorry, teachers in this case here to really identify and engage and, and invite those parents to be in, um, those teachers to be parents to be involved. So you've got them paired up, a teacher, and there could be three parents for the most part, four parents. And, and in sense, in essence, you have one minute. The cookie is placed on their forehead. They're sitting down, and within one minute, they have to maneuver that cookie from their forehead only using their facial muscles, their jaw bones. And it is really hilarious when you watch. I have seen this. <laughs> maneuver that cookie from their forehead to the side of their face, to their cheek, and to their upper lip. And they are doing everything possible. And it is incredible. Incredible. We have prizes that they win as a result of that. And it really, again, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of eliminating barriers and what we've been able to accomplish with these activities. Well, it sounds like you're doing activities that honestly, when you boil it down, make people vulnerable, like all the shields and the masks and the things that we put on, whether we're in a work environment or we're in an environment where we feel like maybe we don't have all the information or there's expectations of us. You kind of boil it down to where you're just a human trying to accomplish something and being silly and ridiculous. And that takes away those things that might prevent us from having a real exchange. And you're trying to get it to a place where people are just all that stuff's kind of thrown aside and you're really in a vulnerable, open-hearted, laughing positive vibe kind of place where you can make connection and really work together. Absolutely. And these are also what's called themed activities. So there are 10 weeks and each activity has an, an important theme. Icebreaker, we think, think of within a 10-week period of time, the information and the relationship that can be de developed and created within that 10-week period of time. So these parents and, and teachers aren't, you know, we do the facilitation. They're not, we're not, we understand the, the process of really establishing that outcome that's going to be sustained. 
that relationship that's going to be developed with that parent and teacher that's going to carry them from, from academic semester to academic semester, from year to year, and the importance of continuing to recruit parents and teachers so that you know, the best, we found that the best recruiters are really parents and teachers. Seeing firsthand where teachers would go back and speak with their colleagues and say, you know what, I've had this parent who's been engaged and involved who would never be involved in the past. And you might want to consider also participating as well. We've had parents who've been wonderful ambassadors and spoken with other parents and presented information and shared what their experience has been like, which has also been effective and successful in increasing more parent involvement. So again, sure. we've been in, in, in these schools now for a little over three years now, and we look to continue uh, remaining embedded in the school, understanding the importance and significance of you know parents and teachers really engaging in that meaningful meaningful relationship. So over the years we've seen that one of the issues that educators have brought forward is that their pay rate is very low for what they're doing and the amount of demand and that there's some misunderstandings about how much time goes into their jobs and so they're really looking to have more respect and get more income. And then on the flip side of that, starting back in the 80s, we interviewed and talked a couple seasons ago with Andrew Dr. Andrew Ho, we were talking about NAEP testing here in the United States and where does the standardized testing where did it come from? Why did we start doing it? And that's an area he's an expert in. And he mentioned that those tests came about because families were sharing with politically with senators and people making laws that they didn't trust that teachers were teaching equitably across schools, across districts, across states. And so they put this standardized testing into place to sort of police what was happening in the education system. So those two sides of a coin, teachers feeling like they're not given enough freedom, not given enough respect, not paid enough, and families feeling like you're not really doing the job we want you to do, we're not getting the results we want, has led to this weird catch-22 where we feel like we're butting heads and we're against each other. And we spend almost $2 billion a year on standardized testing and thinking about if we could build relationship between families and educators, if that was happening and we were working together more. I remember when I was a kid, my mom was in like volunteered in the classroom, even though she was a working mom, like on field trips or things, you don't see that as much. And there's so many reasons why everything from security issues and having to get background checks to be able to come in to people working multiple jobs, just trying to make ends meet. There's all kinds of reasons, but that has really decreased that positive connection between teachers and families, educators and families. What you're trying to do and build those relationships again has so many powerful impacts beyond just students getting more support right now, but building a system that is more united and we could get rid of maybe some of that standardized testing. We're the only nation in the world that does it annually and we're not getting the benefit of it that we think we're getting. It's not making our students academically higher. In fact, the United States hasn't been in the top 10 for academic excellence worldwide ever. So we need to look at the systems we're using now and figure out where are the gaps. And I think one of the big, big gaps is between teachers and families, because if we could come together and families felt more positive 
about teachers, understood more what was being accomplished, felt that they had more of a say in what was happening and they could see the outcomes for their kids, we wouldn't have that need for the standardized testing. We could take that money and pour it into better lunches. We could pour it into better opportunities for students, more pay for teachers. So there's so many things. And this seems like, I guess, if you were just listening and you weren't really in the schools and you didn't really understand, maybe you wouldn't realize what a powerful and big issue it is, but it's huge because it is at the foundation of what our system needs. And it has been going off course for a really long time and not just from COVID, but way before that, way before that. And we're living a lifestyle where families don't feel like they can just walk into schools anymore because we've had so many issues with safety and and security so that it's just, it's hard. It's not the environment we would like it to be. And we've got to figure out how to overcome that. I agree. And it just, it, it seems to me that education today seems to be this environment that is, that just seems to be morphing into something that it should not be. Whether, you know, we see the prevalence of, of um, school violence and school shootings, and we see the politics that is has been injected into education from the politics and, and education councils or, you know, questioning the merits and the, you know, the overall academic ideologies, whether teachers should have more say-so when it comes to developing curriculum. And it just seems... A lot, very, very confusing. I think for a lot of parents in particular, you know, either you're in one camp and you see education and schools as being something that's positive and something that is is worthwhile for you to be involved in, or you see it sort of in a different light as a, some, a place that's really antagonistic and discriminatory and biased for the most part, and not much is going to come out of it. I sincerely believe that it's just turned into something that it should not have been. And I sincerely believe that it's important that we begin to think about how do we develop the forum, the setting? How do we create and nurture a setting that is forward thinking and that is open minded and that is innovative and creative? Yes. Um, That is different than what currently exists. PTOs. PTAs, annual, biannual, parent and teacher conferences. In my experience, parents have always wanted to be involved. It's not an issue that they've been sort of like sideline players. There just hasn't been a setting or forum for them to be involved. And absent of that, then you, they're left with basically these, either these two camps, either it's good or it's bad. They can mm-hmm. sit back and wait for those inevitable telephone calls or text messages from the schools, you know, informing them that, you know, their child has been suspended or detention or some other grievance for the most part. Or you can take steps towards actively engaging them, making them feel that they are a part of this system, that they can actually contribute and feel good about that. I think then until you until that happens, then these are going to be issues and concerns that are just are not going to go away. We recently spoke with Matt Bodro, and he has over many years created charter and private schools and different mentoring programs. And we were asking him 
some questions about like, what things can we do to change these systems, which is exactly what you're talking about. And honestly, his answer was, you can't, you can't change the current system. You can start building a new system through charter schools, through schools that take on a program like yours. And then the schools that haven't done that, the people in the old system can look at this new system and go, oh, it's working. We need to hustle and catch up to that. We need to start doing that as well. And I think the more that we talk with people who figured out some ways to shift that paradigm, figured out some ways that are working, and we get that information out there and more people, when I go to charter schools and I work in charter schools, I feel like families are much more involved because they've selected that school. They've had to be selected frequently in that school through some kind of lottery because there's only so many spaces. And so they value it because they had a say in it because they had to fight for that position. And so they're way more involved in it. And we need to find more and more ways to create that sense of value for families with educators, and then give those opportunities like your program is giving to build those relationships, because at the end of the day, that is going to be a huge piece of changing learning and changing education in this country is getting families more involved on a level that they can be involved. And I will, I will say, honestly, <laughs> I'm that person that goes to the baby shower or the wedding shower and they get games out. And I'm like, I don't want to play a game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do you do with parents like me that show up and go, oh, play a game like you know because I guess I have a bad attitude <laughs> what do you do with that how do you yeah. kind of overcome that you know it's funny because you know we I, we really haven't experienced that it's been there's been some initial skepticism to be honest with you it's been like oh boy okay I think in large part because it's because of the nuance wait a minute you know this is not a parent-teacher conference there is wonderful food that's there by the way you know it makes a big difference when you've got great food it's enough for people to come back or at least to consider coming back the following week. And we've been pleasantly surprised, consistently surprised that, you know, these parents have been open. This goes back to my earlier point and that it's not that they have not been open to participants. It's never been the case. What they needed was just something, something that you know, doesn't compromise their work schedule. Child care is provided. There's food that's provided. Certainly when they arrive, you know, their eyes are wide open. You know, we, we, we spend at least a minimum of several weeks in providing them with more than sufficient information. Consent forms are signed. They have access to our videos and websites so they can get a first-hand understanding of exactly what the expectation is. And for the most part, they've pretty much been excited. Okay, bring it on. I'm here. Great. Let's close this barrier. Who are you, teacher? You know, I know your name. Okay. I know your classroom. Um, let me a better understand. So there's a, a high level of motivation and just general curiosity, I think that because what we've been able to create has been so successful that there's more of a strong desire to really want to get to know you. Who are you? Let's partner together. Let's work together. Again, these are themed activities. So it's just they're very clear, very structured. We've only have a, a small window of time. Typically we go over time, by the way. That's only 90 minutes, which by the way is not enough time. But there is such a sense of respect and appreciation and desire 
you know, the, the parents and teachers are tired for the most part, but they really want to work together. So again, I can't say enough. It's never been a case that parents have not wanted to be involved. It's just been the lack of forum, the lack of setting, the lack of a system in place to together for success model that, oh, yes, this can work. I can identify with it. I can appreciate it. I'll be back next week. Okay, great. And in the interim, within that time period, it's amazing the level of communication and text messages, the telephone calls, the in-person contact that occurs within that time period. We're able to capture that information to be able to document that going from zero contact to, you know, exponential contact during the course of that week and certainly over a 10-week period of time is really incredible. Well, as we're coming to the close of this interview, let me ask you first, if you could identify three things that you think would be key for building trust between educators and teacher and families, what would you think those three elements would be like your top three things that you think are necessary to build trust between families and educators? Well, I would, I would start with just, first of all, being yourself, being human, showing your flaws and showing your vulnerabilities and what your fears are. Parents and teachers can identify with that. That's just kind of being um, human. Secondly, we share the same thing in common. Parents and teachers share the same, which is the best interest and well-being, academic well-being of that child. Once you're able to bridge that and say, we're on the same team here, there's nothing that you really can accomplish. But also understanding that it is a process. Educating that child is a process. And I think that once you're able to really understand that, and let me back up. So the process means that there are going to be moments in which they're not going to be on grade level. There's going to be behavior academic problems in the classroom. There are going to be these moments in which they are expressing their emotions and their anger and their frustration in a way that is inconsistent with what the school rules are. That is expected. That is part of that process doesn't mean that your child is bad or you're a bad parent. That's what being a student is all about. Definitely. Definitely. One of the things we've been talking to all of our guests with as we're really looking at where we are in education, where those gaps are and where we want to be is identifying what we all believe is the why for public education. And when public education in the United States first came about, it was very focused on creating skilled workers. And that's still true on a level. But we also have recognized as we've evolved as humans that education is also a place that we help young people learn how to be good humans. So what is the why? Not the what, not the how, but what is the why? Why do we want to make sure students have excellent education? What does education mean? Tell me what you think on that. What is your why? It's it's interesting, and I, I really appreciate I really appreciate that question. I think it's a really important central question because it really draws upon really what the passion is. We all go through this education system, all of us. Through that process, we learn and we discover what that passion is. Mm-hmm. And had it not been for school, I would not be really where I am now. So frankly, the why is the, the journey to discovering what that passion is, why 
I'm doing what I'm doing, why I will continue to do what I'm doing, why this, why this is important to me, and why I have to do this for the community, my community, you know, for my city, for my state, for my nation, for the country, for the world. That is my why. I like it. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and how you are targeting families and really finding ways to bridge those gaps. I think it's necessary. We will definitely, everybody listening, links will be here below in the the narrative for the podcast, in the narrative for the videos on YouTube. Please access those and go find Eric and Together for Success and get some of those good ideas. Reach out to him and his company and see if he can come and help your school and your district, wherever we can fill in those gaps and really create those bridges between families and educators. We need to be doing that. It's such an important piece of how we're going to move forward in education and do better for kids, which they're the leaders for tomorrow. So we're all hanging on the balance of how things move forward because we need those kids to have great education so that they can be great leaders in the future. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Shannon. So that was good to get to talk with Eric and find out a little bit more about his program. We met through LinkedIn, which has been a great resource for us to connect with other educators and learn about some of the cool things that people are doing out there in the world. Yeah, there are a couple of things that he said that caught my attention. You know, I mean, of course, eliminating barriers. We've been talking about that for a long time. But the other piece was he basically simplified the whole thing and said respect and appreciation. And I think he was speaking about both sides, right? Like parents respecting and appreciating the teachers, but teachers respecting and appreciating the parents as well. And getting together and doing these little things, I guess, helps build that. I am the person that would be like, oh, God, we're going to play a game. I know as soon as I walk into school or work on like the first day or week of school, they're always like, okay, we're going to do an icebreaker. And I just, my eyes like roll to the back of my head. Like, oh, (laughs) so verbal. And I know a lot of people feel that way, but I think once you get involved in it, it is typically fun. It's always more fun to be involved than to complain about things. So yes. All right. I'm well, the person that complains. I, I know. I know. Me somebody too. Somebody do something about me. God. But, it, but it, did, it did make me remember when my daughter was in elementary school, her school did a movie night and they did that periodically for a long time. And I think like they were still doing it until COVID and I don't think they do it anymore. But like that was a fun thing to be like, oh, yeah, everybody goes to the gym and you can take a blanket and lay on the floor and they play like whatever, Finding Nemo. You know, it was a kid's a great kid friendly movie. But that made me think of that, like people just getting together and doing something simple like that. Even if it was just classroom or small groups within the classroom, you know, that teachers could get families coming in for, I know it's hard to do during a school day. And I hate to ask teachers to use more of their time outside of work because I feel like we do that a lot as educators. We spend a lot of our time outside of work trying to fill in those gaps. But I think it's so important that we build those opportunities for relationship to be made between families and teachers and educators on every level, even special service providers. I think it's a great idea, but I, I don't, I, yeah, I wonder about the logistics of it and right. 
having teachers participate. He said that he did, doesn't have trouble getting teachers to participate. So that's great. That's wonderful. I feel like yeah. people go into education to be teachers. It is genuinely for the bulk of people who do that, a calling. And they do it because sure. they feel passionate about working with kids and with families and with teaching and imparting wisdom and knowledge to kids. We rely on that so much because they will do go above and beyond. And so yeah. families who are out there, please know, even if you don't have all the ins and outs, Teachers do a ton of work on their own time. They don't have short days. It really is a lot of work. If we were able to figure out, even we had an interview with Kristen Smith, where she was talking about some districts going to four days a week of classroom time and having one day extra. If we did something like that, would it free up teachers to spend some of that extra time contacting parents, having conversations with parents, building those relationships more? Is that something that we need to put onto the education system to create time for educators to do that with families outside of PTO or PTA or whatever, but just making those relationships within their classroom for families? Yeah, definitely something to think of. Yeah. I don't have all the answers, but it's interesting to hear what people are bringing up. And I think we need to to get politicians and families really thinking about that and bringing it forward. Eric is giving us links. All the links will be below so that you guys can find those in the narratives for the video and the podcast. Definitely, if you are listening, please subscribe, whether you are listening on a podcast or you're on YouTube. It really helps us to have higher subscriptions and download rates gets us a chance to get more people who are doing really big things or have really powerful voices. We want to get them here so that we can answer questions. And teachers out there, educators out there, please, 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 when you see us on social media, when you listen to the blog or look at the YouTube, leave us comments, talk to us, tell us what you want to hear. Tell us where the pain points are, or if you have ideas that can move us forward. We want to talk to real world educators. I don't care if you are Cindy teacher in Washaw, Nebraska. <laughs> we want to hear what you have to say because it I'm matters. Sure. You are who we are trying to talk to and, and you matter. So please share your voice. It matters. And somebody else probably wants to hear the same thing. And we need ideas to always. Yeah. You don't want to just hear what we think is interesting. You want to hear what's really going on because there's so many things in the news constantly and we need to talk about those things and we need to hear how it is really impacting people. So with that in mind, we just want to remind you guys together, together we, we can, can do better. better. Please join us for our next episode and we will talk to you then. Bye.